the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420, The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good morning, folks. Uh, it fall has hit. <laughs> it's getting a little chilly out there, so it's really kind of nice. Uh, get the fireplace working again. Anyway, just a quick thing to think about before we get started. Things turn out best for the individuals who are determined to make the best out of the way things turn out. And he, that guy should know, John Wooden. <laughs> uh, coach of the UCLA and uh, probably won more championships than, than anybody I know. Uh, anyway, um, if you'd like to get any of the material that we talk about on this show, please go to WHK 1420 AM. Uh, go to local podcast down to Tim Hayes and my webpage comes right up there. There's a lot of email me, contact me, that type of thing. If you want to have a cup of coffee, talk about your portfolios, talk about your entire retirement plan. Uh, you know, I've been doing, uh, lately I've been doing a lot of uh, stuff with, uh, insurance because term insurance has come down in price a lot and we've been flipping some policies, uh, so that you're paying the same amount, but you're getting more out of it. And, uh, it, believe me, it works well. Uh, the other thing we've been doing is been talking to a lot of people about their insurance contracts uh, for long, for the long haul. Not, actually, not allowed to say that word on the radio. Uh, it starts with an A, though. <laughs> and how how we can make it uh, work better for them and uh, uh, instead of riding things up and down all the time. Anyway, uh, on my webpage, if you, if you get there, uh, check into the market week. It gives you an idea. It's amazing how many people don't know what's going on in the markets. It's amazing. Uh, also, the daily technical analysis is below there. And then cybersecurity, uh, there's a piece on that. And we talked about lower interest rates for longer. We've been saying that for some time, so that's available too. If you'd like, look, you got to know how to use both sides of your balance sheet. you got to know how to use your credit side and your debit side. Uh, that's what accounting is all about, folks. So we have a new workbook out called the Savvy Investor's Credit Workbook. I highly recommend it. Also, uh, I have a new piece called Global Income uh, Best Ideas, and uh, it, it tells you what the what our screening thing has shown and what the analyst has shown, and uh, it's really a wonderful piece. Uh, I highly recommend it. You know, I've, I've been talking about uh, convertible bonds now for some time, and they're outperforming the market now uh, since I started talking to them by almost 5%. And since 1973, converts have outpaced the S&P 500 by an average of 2.6% annually with a beta of three quarters of that. So if the market goes up uh, one point, it goes up three quarters. The market goes down a point, it goes down three quarters. So they've done quite a good job. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen this, but Vanguard is now running ads about active management because so much money's in passive management. Um, You know, one of the areas I've really liked, you know, I like to buy things when they're down. Unfortunately, these have gone down further than I expected. Um, but the global best energy ideas, you know, when go, when oil hit the bottom at twenty six dollars, we've gone up to fifty five. We've gone up to seventy actually during that period of time, and most of the oil stocks are down another sixty percent. How's that? Except for the big big eight, and they're probably down about fifteen twenty percent. So the price of oil goes up, they go down. That's interesting. All right, let's get started. Uh, the average age of CFOs has in, in, increased significantly this year. Uh, According to Chris Colder Associates, financial chiefs at S&P 500 and Fortune 500 companies is now 52.8. That's five years older than the average of the previous 10 years. Revenue from the record music, uh, recorded music in the United States rose 18% to $15.4 billion in the first half of the year, driven by growth in subscriptions. By the way, the artist artist revenue from that uh, dropped 24%, 26%, I'm sorry. How's that for a deal? Uh, 
And then Labor Day is the official end of summer movie season, and uh, which generated $4.3 billion in ticket sales, making a 2% decline from last year. Um, that's not good for the music, I mean, for the uh, uh, movie industry. Um, you know, we had a summer jobs report Friday, and it was good enough, it's still good enough, okay? Where, uh, you know, I don't see a recession uh, on, on the uh, horizon. Let's just put it that way. I thought it was a decent number. Uh, now, what everybody was worried about is on Tuesday, the ISM manufacturing index declined to 47.8. The problem with that is that what happens after that, you usually go to lower levels. Um, you know, it usually uh, goes down for a couple more months. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but I, sometimes I think you have to separate the wheat from the chaff. And, you know, it was a one-two punch brought in the U.S. and the global recession risk back, you know, uh, to the four, pushing the S&P 500 down uh, a total of 3% in, in two sessions. First, we had the weak uh, manufacturing employment data, and then the equity markets are anxious about the U.S. You know, we have a new U.S. trade negotiation coming up. Uh, the recent sell-off is very reminiscent of uh, many uncomfortable, topsy-turvy Octobers. And you remember, October, though, tends to be, we tend to, the bottom tends to be put in. You know, I, I'll just mention again, I mentioned this last week, crude oil uh, broke a double top, and I expect it to pull back. Uh, it it was on the Saudi you know scenario where they they blew up a couple wells, and gold um, you know I I suggested that you probably buy gold on a pullback and and I still suggest that I think th- this is a good healthy pullback and uh, if it, the closer it gets back to its uptrend line the better for all you who are adding, and you know uh, this is I think is dangerous pa- passive is now has more money than active management and uh, that's kind of. Uh, Stock market Marxism, and uh, you know, there's no price consideration. There's no uh, price discovery. Uh, there's no research, and something tells me it's going to lead to a bad end. And uh, I'll just say that again. But look, the major trends in leadership in today's market are still present in U.S. equities. Uh, you know, I just suggest that we haven't seen. You know, we were moderately overbought. Uh, heading into the next quarter, but real estate keep, continues to do well. Uh, the large cap technology t- t- is doing well, although it's getting beat up a little bit. I will say the bullish percent for all equity funds got up to 92%. That's usually a, a time when you got to be careful. Um, and the bullish percent for all equity diversified, now this isn't the bullish percent, bullish percent is, is up there at 82% too. So something you want to consider, you know, you want to be a little bit more careful, I think is what I'm trying to say. Um, the diversified uh, bullish percent, uh, I think it reversed up last on, on 222, but it, you know, it, it's been up and down. But look, uh, precious metals and consumer non-cyclical have been leading the way for the last couple of months, and I, I don't see that changing at all. Uh, core, core equity is where the money's been. I don't know how long that's going to last. And I will say that you know, the realtors, if they were to, if you looked at Cohen, the steers, some of their things, they had a shakeout pattern. Now, if they... If uh, we'll just take the GRI, for example, if it were to break 49, it'd be a very positive thing. Um, some people asked me about it. You know, uh, I had some people in my office and they're really worried about the national debt. And look, I think the national debt is still manageable for now. Anyway, uh, investors may be concerned about the high level of debt. But um, with a debt to GDP ratio has climbed, interest payments on debt as percent of GDP have remained subdued simply because interest rates are down. OK, Uh the government debt service is comparable to levels of 40 years ago, just so you know. So U.S. debt is a problem. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm not poo-pooing it or anything like that. Uh, but it, it isn't as big a problem as, as everybody um, expects. But, look, um, I guess the real question is, um, you know, what what question – what is, what is the right question for this stage of the cycle? I'd say that, Okay. The yield curve remains relevant, and I think the, the Fed's behind the gun. Uh, they are way, well behind. You know, we've had a uh, inverted yield curve for a month and a half now, and I don't think it's affecting them at all. Um, and the other thing is, you know, Fed's fund rate versus in a U.S. recession uh, is, is not different this time. You know, when, when the Fed funds rate is above uh, the 10-year, you got to be careful. Uh, I think some of the key indicators is, uh, you know, prior to it, uh, the inversions is have no fear the Fed is here, but uh, they are slow. Uh, 
the Fed's got to think globally, but they got to act local locally. So that's another thing. So so growth is slowing, uh, but but rates are already low. So you know the the question is, you know, what can you do from here? Remember last fall when everybody, I I basically said you know we have a problem in October. Um, the Fed was talking about raising rates five times, and they were still doing quantitative tightening. They now are lowering rates and no longer doing quantitative tightening as of October 1st. But look, monetary policy has its, its limits, and I think you got to remember that. And, uh, you know, we could get into a 1970s situation where we, you know, stagnation type of scenario. But uh, uh, anyway, that, that's some things I think you want to think about. So I had some people and they just wanted to buy bonds, and I don't think it's a really good time to buy bonds. That's my humble opinion. Uh, but in today's environment, uh, I think – you want to know what you own. And uh, first of all, I would suggest quality is king. Uh, extension swaps. Clients, you know, holding calls over the next few years should look to swap these securities into increased call protection, is my humble opinion. Uh, hybrid preferreds, you know, what they call fixed to float preferreds, where it starts out as a fixed rate and can, be, can turn into a, uh, a floating rate. Mortgages. Jenny Mays have uh, five, five and a half, six percent coupons. Uh, they're harder to come by these days, but, but the way, and then there's structures notes. These are callable income notes linked to either broad indices or a stock's, you know, uh, performance, you know, that type of thing. Uh, and I think the biggest thing is uh, to stay short. Uh, if you got to go long, I would be definitely recommending a barbell strategy. All right. So be, be heavy duty on the short term, be heavy duty on the long term and not so much in the middle. So, Look, we, we think yields will stay lower. Uh, the inverted curve will probably stay for months ahead. Uh, there's some reinvestment risk out there. It's a concern. I think there's some downside risk for yields. Uh, so I think what you want to do is, like I said, you know, have a lot in the 1 to 3 area and have a lot to in, you know, the, the 10 to 15 area or 9 to 15 area, I should say. That's the long bond these days. And then, you know, hardly any in the, in the middle. <laughs> it's just simply that. Um, look, uh is the future of fixed income fixed expenses? That's the question. And, and it's a common refrain in recent years is the low negative global yields have dragged U.S. Treasuries lower. But that hasn't exactly been the case as the 10-year Treasury has opened up a pretty sizable gap over the, the comparable German 10-year bond. Well, the, the you know, divergence is pretty easy to explain is that the German money is coming over here. The U.S. economy has been expanding with the Fed raising rates when the Europe has been slowing with the ECB cutting rates, what's happened? You know, uh, what what's the scoop? We believe the gap will close from here, and we're likely seeing the the peak in U.S. growth. Uh, so, we're not we're not saying we're having a recession, but you got to be careful. I think uh, you know, the Fed if the Fed returns to zero rates and employs uh, future guidance, you know, and quantitative easing, that's the problem. I think so. Um, We'll leave it at that. In in the meantime, let's take a break. This is the Smart Investor Show. I'll be right back. Uh, Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show, and uh, I'm Tim Hayes. And, you know, I wanted to talk, it's hard to find good income ideas. And, you know, we, we've been touting our prime income list and our dividend growth list, and they've done fairly well. Uh, there have been different stocks within those lists that have not done well. Okay, so you got to be careful. I mean, we have uh, Altria on the uh, prime income list, and it got creamed. It was 75 bucks. Uh, by the way, our analysts did downgrade it, but we kept it on the list uh, in our ultimate wisdom. Uh, and now it's 40 so now it has a... Jeez, I think it's like an 8% yield. So, um, look, we, we have a, a global income best idea list, and this is a report that will likely appeal to many uh, of my clients and, and a lot of the people out there, and it, it identifies a lot of dividend-paying stocks that are, that are really in demand right now. And uh, before I dive into it, I urge everyone who wants this report to send it uh, to, to call in. Uh, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to send the whole report because it's like 100 pages. So a couple of weeks ago, there were some notable cross-currents between the U.S. stock market um, disguised by indexes that were trading flat. Starting on Friday, September 6th, value stocks began to outperform growth. 
Now, if you've been listening to the show, I've been touting that for nine months now, okay, 10 months. Uh, so th- this has invest- investors uh, kind of speculating as to whether or not the long-awaited growth versus value trade, uh, you know, which is heavily favored growth for like 13 years now, could finally be turning. As a value investor at heart, I would suggest a small part of me is hopeful that that is the case, but I'm skeptical uh, for three reasons. First is that the trend is only a month old. Second, the magnitude has been modest, and and uh, you know the S&P value is outperforming just by 3.5% at this point. Uh, and I think the interest rates could return to flat to flattish trend line uh, over the last eight years, you know, low 2%. And, and I don't see much evidence that suggests that they're moving substantially higher. The third point is I'm more, li- like, more likely than not uh, that a recession will be avoided in the near term. I, I believe, you know, that's the case. But if we do go into recession, then I do think value comes out uh, stronger. But, uh, look, you know, the, I think the um, utilities and, and the REITs are up a lot. So it's kind of it's hard to... Um, you know, go out and pound the table on them, okay? Utilities are especially, I mean, they're way above their trend line. I'm going to talk about that more in, in a minute. But I will say this. A lot of people are long the dollar and dollar-related assets, i.e. treasury bonds. And I think that's a really crowded trade, and it's really done with a lot of leverage right now. Leverage at a low on yields, okay, anyway, it's not a good thing. <laughs> and these, these people are staying long, all right? So we may be rip, reaching a tipping point for the dollar where a multi-year bullish trend reaches its apex and sets up for reversal. I don't know. Uh, but if everybody's long the dollar because they're buying treasury bonds, i.e. the people in Germany, the people in Switzerland, the people in Italy, um, we could have a problem on our hands. And that, you know, we could have a rally, a big rally in interest rates, beat up a lot of people, and the dollar could go down. And that might be what gold was telling us earlier, okay? So we have a a deficit-driven liquidity shortage. You know, uh, a significant chunk of U.S. economic performance over the last five years has been fiscal stimulus. So, the net, you know, if you look, uh, that may be coming to an end. Who knows? Uh, the Euro government... You know, Germany's government debt to GDP is uh, dropping quickly. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, increasing quickly. Uh, so, you know, if you look at the twin deficits by most countries, uh, you know, Germany's the only one that has positive stuff and, and Russia, too. But uh, most everybody else is in a de- you know, current account deficit. So it'll be interesting to see how this self-corrects because I think it's going to. And I, I don't know exactly when, but I... Um, uh, when everybody's long the dollar, it's time to step away, I think. Uh, you know, I I mentioned a couple things last week about the NASDAQ, and uh, I said that its bullish percent had hit another lower high, and I think it did again. So it didn't break out at all this week, so we didn't see that. Uh, the technologies versus the staples, it does look like the, the uh, technology was just about to break out and then died. So these were some of the things I talked about last week, by the way. Um, you know, I, I was going to talk about resistance, but, uh, you know, sometimes resistance is just a psychological barrier. But um, then I talked a little bit about financials. Uh, and it looked like to me the financials was going to break out up until the time that uh, Elizabeth Warren and AOC went after uh, some of the names like Blackstone and, and uh, talked about, taxing all their their wealth. Uh, so there we go. Um, the CBOE, 10-year Treasury yield, is is looking like it's made a bottom, but it you know it, it's the the actual bond itself is extremely overbought where the yield is very, very oversold. So uh, you know once again, I, I think you got to look at yield stocks. Uh, the yield on the SP 500 is now higher than 30-year treasury. I think that's only happened one other time. And that was in the 50s, and it was a very good time for stocks. But it's higher than the 20 and the 10-year yield. Uh, that doesn't happen very often at all. So, I, look, I think uh, there's a lot of stocks out there that still look good. Uh, a lot of them are using the 200-day moving average as their, you know, where they're stopping. So that's something to remember. And, um, 
you know, I, I also think <laughs> uh, that you have to be kind of careful here when you buy things. For example, you know, uh, we have AbbVie on our list, and AbbVie's gone from 125 down to 70. So, you you know, uh, if if you would have bought it at 125, you'd be unhappy. Now, I got a lot of it from a company called PharmaCycles, and uh, it's you know I got a, such a low cost basis, I can't afford to sell it. Uh, so anyway, so here's some of the things I'm seeing. Um, I think I think we're you know we. I'm going to talk about the bullish percent in the next part of the show and something changed this week. Uh, actually, very late Friday, so I didn't get a chance to do anything about it. But short-term lows were starting to develop up until Tuesday. And um, the, the cycle backdrop still remains positive, meaning the four-year cycle is still there. But we're seeing a lot of sector and style rotation, and, and I think that's possible. Uh, the 10-year yields are back to a key pivotal level, and we'll see what happens there. But you know, I tell you, you look at 2000, you know, the from 2014 to 2016, maybe 2015 to 2016, the charts look exactly as they do right now. And and we're seeing the same type of momentum, uh, monthly momentum. And the, the indicator, it's early, but it's I think it's hit a bottom. Uh, it'd be nice to see it start to turn up. The daily has not turned up. It's actually turned down. So I think we got to wait for the daily to turn up before the monthly turns up. But uh, still still an interesting chart. Uh, the one thing I'll say, uh, the Russell, I was looking at the daily on the Russell 2000. That's the smaller cap stocks. And the if, if I look at some of the, uh, you know, the uh, momentum indicators, uh, they're very, very oversold, extremely oversold. One area I noticed that was kind of interesting was the small cap regional banks. And they might be near an, an upside reflection point. I'll, I'll see. Now, finally, we talk, we've talked about growth force value, and I've been talking about it for a year now. And, uh, you know, I, I was in a lot of the software stocks earlier this year. I, I, am, I am no longer in them. Um, but I, I think what you have to be looking at is growth and value are coming to a, a very nearing a test of the 2017 to 2019 uptrends. So uh, if if broke if growth were to break this uptrend line, I would suggest that value probably take over for a while. We'll see what happens. I was also, you know, I've been wishy-washy about the global markets, and the global markets actually held up better than the U.S. markets, which I think is interesting. Um, but the relative performance uh, compared to the S&P 500 is still not positive. Uh, the dollar's weekly momentum is positive, uh, but if you look, you know, we, we broke the uptrend line, and we haven't broken through that uptrend line again. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens if the, if bonds start to uh, sell off and uh, people start to sell them. Uh, it would be very, very interesting. I, I think uh, crude still looks like it's going to be a broad, you know, uh, consolidation for a pretty long time. And look, I, I, um, a lot of people ask me about gold, and I, I suggested that gold was going to pull back, and it did. Um, I just think it, it's positive that it pulls back. You know, it made a huge move. Uh, you know, it made a 20% move almost in a very short period of time. It's good that it pulls back. Now, I'm starting to see improving charts and in improving rotation into financials, uh, utilities, real estate, discretionary, technology, industrials, materials, and energy. What I've seen is weakening is healthcare, mostly because of who's running for the Democratic uh, president's, uh, you know, point of view. Communication service and staples are starting to give up. And they were starting to give up at the beginning of the week, and then they turned around and came right back. So uh, it's a tough it's a tough market. Um, you know, we're now uh, almost 19 months into uh, a sideways market, and where most of the surprises have been to the downside. Uh, but I, I still like financials, and I, um, you know, look, the relative performance remains weak, but it's been weak since 2008. <laughs> so uh, if it were to turn back up, it would be very, it would be excellent, and. If you look at the XLF, which is a lot of the banks, they have broken out their da- on their downtrend versus the S&P 500 so, uh, on a relative basis. So that's good. Um, and, and we've seen that in the bank index, too. So now utilities are way above, you know, they're way above their uptrend, the top of their uptrend line. And that usually ends poorly. And that's what I'm saying. You know, we got bonds yields oversold, bonds overbought, utilities overbought. Uh, it, it looks like we're we're setting up for, you know, a big move. The other thing I would say is I talked about software for a year. 
year and a half. I would suggest that they broke the, uh, you know, the relative performance has weakened and broken their uptrend, dating, you know, uh, dating back to uh, two two years ago when I first started to talk about them. So, you want to be very very careful in that software area. Now, I would suggest there's some things that you should look at, uh, and if you know if you go to four, WHK fourteen twenty AM and go to local podcast down to Tim Hayes, then go to Tim to to my uh, webpage. Uh, I would look at the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list right now. Look, those two, you know, the prime income list is yielding twice what the thirty-year Treasury is right now. The dividend growth portfolio is half a percentage point higher. Uh, that's a buy signal, as far as I'm concerned. It's just a simple buy signal, uh, and I think it's a great idea. I would also su- suggest our best ideas, but there's some in there that have come a long, long way, and I don't consider them best ideas anymore. The analyst still does, but uh, I, I found that the analyst tends to stay too long sometimes. <laughs> anyway, stay tuned. We'll be right back with the bullish percent. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. If you'd like to hear the whole show, uh, it's podcast on WHK fourteen twenty, a couple other places too, by the way. Um, and uh, you you can go to WHK fourteen twenty, go to local podcast down to Tim Hayes. It comes up on Tuesday at noon, uh, and you can hear the, the rest of the show if you just tuned in. Um, also, if you'd like to have a cup of coffee, want to talk about your portfolio. Uh, there's all sorts of contact me and email me uh, uh, things on that web page, so please do. By the way, while you're there, take a look at the weekly stuff and, and look at Bob Dickey's technical analysis. Bob's won more awards than you know, most of the technicians out there, and he's been very, very good at what he does. Uh, and sometimes if you see things, you'll understand a little bit better. Uh, you know, the, the stock market and the bond markets are huge beans. It's hard to, to you know, see what's going on sometimes. Sometimes if you see what's going on, you'll, you'll understand. Well, uh, you know, we're going to talk about this, the, um, the bullish percent, but uh, today, you know, on Thursday, uh, the S&P 500 reversed down on its default chart and it broke a double bottom. That's the second consecutive sell signal uh, at 2940, um, and it continued all the way down to support to 2880. It's, it's not positive, <laughs> and it happened in two days, which is really, you know, it's, it's hard to predict it. Now, uh, look, if you look at the bullish support line, we're pretty close to there right now uh, on, a, on a regular 10-point def- uh, default chart. But on a 20-point default chart, it's, it's still pretty far away. So the long-term chart still looks good. Now, uh, Charles Schwab and the boys uh, got hammered this week and that Charles Schwab is not uh, charging commissions anymore. Look, they make their money. You just have your portfolio there. They beat you up on margin expenses and a couple other things, but they make their money uh, by you just having your portfolio there. And uh, one of the reasons that they're successful is not because of the individual investor, but because of the advisor who's gone into private practice. Uh, and you know, they're just, they're, they want to hold on to the money. That's why they're doing that. Uh, but E-Trade and Meritrade got killed too. Uh, Meritrade does about 25 25- 26% of their business and commissions, and, you know, that, that hurts them. I did notice the bullish percent for all equity funds. Uh, looks like it may have broken a double bottom this week. But let's talk about the technical summary from our friends at Dorsey Wright. Uh, you know, we were in a column of X's at 48.9% on uh, Monday, but I think we uh, – I'm pretty sure we broke down uh, on Friday, so we'll see what happens. And this is just the number – you know, it's our main risk guide, and what we talk about here is a chart that goes from zero to one hundred. When you get over seventy, that's when everything's hot. You know, thth. That's when you should be concerned. When you get below thirty, uh, that's usually you know the green zone, and that's uh, when everybody's crying their beer. That's when you should be aggressive. We were at fifty last week, and I think I think we broke down this week, so we'll see what happens. I think the over-the-counter index did too, um, but it, it's close uh, on both of them. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I, I did notice that the U S money market had the highest score <laughs> of, uh, 
any of the asset classes short term. It was it was the most improved anyway. So now look, I looked at the interday tra- trading for the bullish percent on Friday right before I left to uh, broadcast this, and uh, we had to hit forty four to reverse down, and I think we had an interday reading uh, on Friday of forty three point eight percent. So I I just got to see for sure. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you, you know, if you need to know, call my office. Um, look, I was looking at dynamic asset level investing and the, the bogey, uh, you know, versus cash, uh, the, the domestic equities are, you know, in kind of sorry shape right at this point. So I I think we went up to 50% cash, uh, on Friday, but you know, it's interesting from 2008 to 2019 U S equities, are up 106 percent, and they've they've averaged on a 10-year basis about 8.3 percent. Uh, fixed income has averaged nothing. <laughs> uh, the money market has averaged nothing. International equities have averaged 1.6 percent. Foreign currencies ma- averaged negative 2.1 percent, and and commodities have averaged a negative 3 percent. And during that period of time, most in, uh, advisors have been pumping money into international equities when the place to be is right here at home. And, uh, you know, I've been saying that U.S. equities are the number one asset class for most of that time now, and and most people have been putting money into foreign equities or fixed income. So you've made virtually nothing on fixed income, and you've you've basically lost money uh, or or made 1.68%, but after taxes, probably nothing in international equities. So, uh, look, you know, how long will that last? I don't know, but you know, we talked about how uh, home construction companies, uh, they led the, the charge this quarter. Uh, it was followed by some of the junior silver uh, funds, which we talked about gold. Uh, you know, we sent an email out to everybody. Uh, real estate and utilities, we talked about back in May of 2018. They were the next in line. Uh, the semiconductor index, which we started talking about being positive, I think, the first week of, of uh, July. The staples, we talked about back in March. Uh, they're, they're good. The gold miners, once again, uh, and then aerospace and defense, which at mo- most of that was because of a couple of takeovers. So uh, that's the groups that have been leading the way. Now, I looked at all the averages and, and uh, you know, we had weak positive momentum for four weeks. You remember six to eight weeks uh, is a long time for weekly momentum to stay positive. So if we correct here, I would suggest uh, it's part of the deal, you know. Um, now, I looked at... Uh, some of the ETF performances and the low volatility portfolios, which are like the staples and the utilities and, and that type of thing, have been uh, big winners uh, The in the mega caps. OK, so it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, the, the top broad U.S. equity performer has been the Invesco S&P 500 low volatility portfolio. Uh, the large cap strategies dominated the top performers list this quarter. No, no doubt about it. And I guess. Uh, Two interesting funds that made the, the top 10 list were the X-Tractors MCSCIUS ESG. That's the Environmental, Social, and Governance type portfolio, okay? Uh, it had a gain of about 2.26% in the third quarter. And then the, the wide moat, uh, that's where these they're looking for businesses that have wide moats so you can't get into them. They were up 4.4%, so that, that was really unusual. Uh, this number of sectors were, were up. We're, we're down to 10 from 11. Remember, 11's been our high. Uh, but waste management and and electric utilities are still at 65. Uh, building, you know, which has done the whole gamut. It's gone from below 30 to uh, uh, in the 60s. And semiconductors are still favored. Uh, real estate's still favored at 55. Um, Wall Street at 50. Housing and restaurants at 45. Precious metals at 40, which is a good place to buy things, and protection services at, at 30, which is another good place to buy things. So we have several groups in bull confirmed status, but they're not favored yet, and that's drugs, foods, beverage, non-ferrous metals, oil, retailing, textiles, and transport. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how that works out for us. Uh, transportation went f- to average, uh, which is interesting because it got kind of beat up uh, at the, at the you know in, on Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, to unfavored status went healthcare, software, and then retail just went to average. All right, so there we go. Um, 
international equities. Uh, what was really interesting is the TUR, which is an ETF for Turkey, uh, was the best performing international equity during the, the third quarter with a 12.17% return. Uh, then the rest of them, you know, with small cap Japan and and uh, the Taiwan, they were up about 4%. Uh, nothing else really matters because it wasn't really good, uh, you know, great performance there. But uh, the PIMCO 25-year zero coupon was really the big one that won in the fixed income area, up 12.7%. And then Vanguard, the extended duration was up uh, 11 and a quarter. So being long was, was positive, all right? So, uh, look, falling interest rates uh, have been a tailwind for the long-duration investors uh, in 2019. So uh, year-to-date, Convertible bonds rank among the top performers, largely thanks to the strength of the U.S. equity market. So, uh, you know, I've been talking about those for some time now. They've really outperformed quite a bit. As far as commodities are concerned, you know, crude oil is still positive. Weekly momentum has been positive for 40 weeks, uh, five weeks. And most of the indexes, the commodity indexes, have been positive for four weeks. Then there hasn't been much movement up in price, which is really interesting. Gold's been negative for about four weeks, like I said, it's on a pullback. And copper has roared back with five straight weeks of uh, weekly momentum. It's actually gone up about 20 cents, which is positive. And corn has, uh, you know, got killed and is now turned up a little bit. And U.S. dollar uh, regained its footing this past quarter and put on a solid showing. It's up 3.2% for the, the quarter. Uh, the strength of the U.S. dollar has pushed the, uh, I don't know if you know the Invesco U.S. dollar index bullish fund. It's UUP. Uh it had a good gain with 4.35%. So, uh, you know, that's kind of r- really interesting. But um, a lot of the stuff that dealt with currencies, uh, you know, the dollar or the exchange rates were the big big movers in the commodity market uh, uh, last quarter. So now we look at stocks, you know, relative strength. And relative strength is a measure of how a stock is performing when compared to something else. So what we want is our stock to be the best performing stock in the group and also the best performing uh against the market, all right? So first is consolidated water and the water industry. I, I have the ETF from like five years ago. It's really working well. Uh, JBL, which is, uh, that's a contract manufacturer. Lamb Research, Semiconductor. Uh, Synex Corporation, which is a technology hardware company. Uh, uh, Unitil, which is electric utility. U.S. Concrete, that's an interesting one because that's, that's a play on the wall, it's a play on infrastructure, et cetera. Um, and TriPoint Group, which is uh, cyclical goods, and Allegheny, which is uh, in insurance. Uh, and on the sell side, oh, and uh, Site Centers, uh, that's a REIT. On the sell side, we have Ameritrade, Vericell, which is biotechnology, Novavax and biotechnology, Jinko, uh, which is industrial goods, Shenandoah, which is fixed lines communication, Bosch Health, which is in pharmaceuticals, Diamondback Energy, which is an oil company, Fate Therapeutics, which is biotechnology, Immunic Biotechnology, Demira Biotechnology, Axum Therapeutics, Biotechnology, G1 Therapeutics, Biotechnology. There seems to be a theme there. Uh, MongoDB, which is in software, and IQU, which is uh, media. And then finally, Smartsheet uh, in software, which uh, our analyst likes. Like I said, I think sometimes they stay too long. But the point is, is that... uh, you know, we're not seeing – when you have an advance, you want to see, you know, there's 45 different uh, groups. You want 20 or 30 of them, you know, being, being in favored sector. 11 is the highest we've had, and we lost it last week again. So it'll be interesting to see. Stay tuned for the Insiders. This is Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. Uh, if you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Uh, once again, uh, whk1420am.com uh, will bring you to uh, what you do is just go to local podcast, go down to Tim Hayes. So if you miss part of the show, you can hear the rest of it. If you need a nap, you can, <laughs> you can hear the rest of it, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now, we talk about insiders pretty regularly on the show. And, and uh, what we've done is we've talked about economics in the first part of the show. Then we talked about bonds. Then we talked about uh uh, you know, some ideas in the trading area and, and some things we, we observed. And then we talked about some technicals uh, from from guys like Bob uh, Schleimer from Fundstrat to Bob Dickey from RBC. 
uh, in a world of other people, and Tim Hayes, by the way. Uh, and now we're going to talk about, and then we talked about relative strength ideas. Relative strength is important. You want your stock leading the way. Okay, now we're going to talk about insider ideas. Just remember that insiders are notoriously very, very early. And we're not buying all the insiders. We're buying the ones that buy big. We're buying the knowledgeable insiders. And we're looking for multiple buys if we can. All right. So, you know, you've been warned. Okay. Uh, Immunomedics. Now, this is a name that... uh, that Seattle Genetics bought a while back, uh, bought a good piece of it. I think they wanted to take them over, and Immunetics uh, uh, fought them off. But Evoro Capital Advisors bought thirteen point two million. Uh, the stock was seventeen, and they they bought it at twelve forty. Then they bought another seven million at thirteen twenty five, all in a week. That's uh, twenty million bucks. That's not chump change. <laughs> and then um, Oak Tree. Capital Group. Uh, a lot of these got beat up by uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren and AOC's comments about taxing all these guys to death. And so th- they were at 54, broke down to 51. Uh, I'm sorry, 64, and they're at 51. And uh, OMC Growth uh, LLC bought $16.3 million worth, which is not chump change either. Uh, so you like to see that, you know, especially when they back off like that, that uh, the insiders come in and buy. Now, uh, we also have one on Broad Vision, and uh, this is a down-and-out stock. And ESW Capital, they reported a 20, 20.65%. They've been buying all week, and they reported a big stake in them. So uh, they want to take them private, I think, is what it comes down to. So it would be interesting to see. Uh, and then HDS Supply. Uh, a uh, Laura Taylor, who's a uh, quite quite smart, bought twenty three million dollars uh, worth of stock. Uh, HD was a forty eight dollar stock; is now a thirty nine dollar stock. It's almost an atypical uh, chart uh, uh, of everybody. And um, also, USA Technologies, uh, Hudson Executive Capital is a beneficial owner, and uh, they they added uh, another. 1.8 million shares at 458 or an 8.2 million uh, shares, which gives them a total of 10 million shares. So uh, that they're, they're, they're putting their money where their mouth is. And by the way, the stock was down a little bit when they bought it. And iStar, remember last week we reported that they bought a bunch of, of iStar Inc. So the, the company bought another half a million dollars with their 10% owner, and they continue to buy. You like to see when the parent company buys. And then uh, finally, we had uh, Gilead Sciences. Now, this is kind of interesting because, uh, you know, our biotech analyst really likes this stock. So we had one director, uh, Richard Whitley, buy 68,000 shares, and then another director buy 240,000 shares. It's a $60 stock, so it's not chump change. So uh, the FDA approved a a label expansion for Gilead's uh, uh, Discovy, which is uh, a prep for HIV. Uh, which I think is you know fairly positive. Now here's what I, I did I haven't talked about, but I've been noticing that the same director has bought like five times since July 1st, and this is Maxel Max Lanier, which is a technology company. It's in the semiconductor business. It was twenty eight dollars back in May, and every time it was back in June, it was down at twenty one twenty. He bought some, and it was just at eighteen. He bought some more. But he, he has four purchases of $250,000 each, uh, and he owns a ton of it. So that's always good. Now, here's an interesting one, simply because it's uh, Ulta Beauty, which has been a home run stock if you owned it. Uh, you know, it went from 220 to 360 this year and then woke back up at 240 And, you know, we had a couple directors buy, uh, actually one director buy $27.2 million. And two days later, he bought $17.4 million. Then he bought $14.2 million. Then... On Thursday, the CEO Mary Dillon uh, bought three hundred eight thousand, and she's got a lot, <laughs> uh, a whole lot. And here's a couple other ones that I like. FedEx. Um, you know, we we have a director who's, by the way, quite a smart guy. Uh, buy a couple thousand shares, uh, a couple hundred shares, uh, but you know, it's one hundred forty, uh, a couple thousand shares. I'm sorry, uh, at one hundred forty five thousand dollars each. But it's the first buy. Uh, remember, they bought a whole bunch at two thirty-five. 
Uh, insiders bought a lot, and then it went all the way back down to you know the 150 level, then bounced back up, and then got whacked again. So it's good to see somebody buying it anyway because they've, they've had a tough time lately. And here's one for you uh, guys who like to roll the dice. Superior Energy Services, a uh, VP, a uh, guy named Moore bought a million shares. A, a director uh, bought s- another million shares. The CEO bought 700,000 shares. The CFO bought 200,000 shares. The chairman bought 700,000 shares. A VP bought 100,000. Another VP of operations bought 100,000. Uh, it's a 15-cent stock. <laughs> so that's for you, uh, not for widows or orphans. It's for gamblers. You know, I, I was looking at the charts, and Bob Dickey put out a, a piece, I think it was on Thursday or Friday, I thought was just great. And look, there's a belief out there that there's a near-term recession as possible, and it's been very, very widely publicized, along with the data to support such an opinion. But if you look at the chart of the S&P 500, it's in a beautiful uptrend since 2010. You know, higher highs, higher lows, stay within two uh, distinct lines. When it gets to the top line, though, you got to be a little bit more careful and uh, take it from there, right? So that's kind of interesting. As bearish as everybody is, and believe me, I've had some people in my office, I, you know, and by the way, you know, the one uh, couple was in my office this week. They've like, they're with Marshfield. They're up like 31% this year. And I thought they were going to jump out the window. I was happy that the windows didn't open. Okay. How can you be up 31% and looking over your shoulder saying it's the end of the world? It's just, it doesn't make sense. Uh, but, you know, it, that's how negative some people are, which is great. You got to understand that's great. You know, on a contrary basis, you want everybody to be negative so you can get in. So, look, uh, uh, even if the bullish percent turns down, domestic equities are still the number one asset class. Remember that. All right. Gold, you know, broke out, and I think it's going to head back to support, uh, you know, because the dollar keeps rallying because people keep buying bonds. And, um, you know, look, the the – Previous breakout was from 1350, so it could go all the way back there. I think somewhere about 1400, I'd be looking to get real aggressive. Um, and some people ask me, okay, you got a pretty big pullback here. Where are some of the support levels? And I'm going to use Bob Dickey's work because he's a lot smarter than I am. Um, he thinks uh, 26500, which we blew by. Then he thought 2600, which we are right at. And then, uh, you know, the final area would be about 248. All right, so uh, that's on the Dow Jones, by the way. Um, look, the news in the daily markets may be volatile, but the market is still right where it was. I mean, look, if you look, we haven't gone anywhere in two years. Uh, you know, we did have the one big move down, and then we had a rally up, and then we had another big move down, then we had a rally up, another big move down. So we continue this pattern, but it's been a series of higher lows and higher highs up until now. If, if it were to, to turn down, that would not be a good thing, I don't think. <laughs> uh, I did notice this week that the relative performance of the S&P value to the S&P growth index turned up. That's the first time it's turned up since 2008. Uh, value stocks have just got killed or just have not performed as well. It's as simple as that. Uh, you know, I, I steered you into software companies and I steered you into re- – Real estate investment trusts and utilities, you know, buy yield when it's up back in uh, in May of 2018. And I, if I look, the, the rates are settling down here. And it, we'd have to get past two before I'd say that the 10-year Treasury yield is back in an uptrend. And, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of resistance there. So I don't think that's going to happen uh, soon. So I, I would be well, let's just put it this way. The long-term downtrend line is at 2%, and I just don't see it happening anytime soon. I, I did say 1,400. I meant 1,440 is the next resistance level or next support level for gold. Uh, I think it holds there around 1,400. I, I, if it broke through 1,400, I'd say it'd go all the way back to 1,350, but who knows? You know, uh, we, we always look for um, the, you know, the next support, so we've got to see if it breaks there first, but uh, I do think if yields go up, and, and believe me, yields are oversold, bonds are overbought, utilities are up through their top trend line, which is usually a you know an overexcitement period, which is usually followed by underexcitement, if you know what I mean. 
real estate investment trusts are near the top line, but not nearly as bad as electric utilities. So it'll be interesting to see if we have a reversal of fortunes in in the interest rate market. Um, If that were to be the case, I think the dollar would go down pretty handily. And that would be, you know, that's when gold and oil and all these commodities, remember, they're all based in, in, in dollars. So if the dollar goes down, the world can buy more of them for the same money. Okay. Anyway, um, what would I be doing now? And I'll say this again, and I'll probably say it about 20 times before the end of the year. Right now, the dividend on the S&P 500 is higher than the 30-year treasury and higher than the 10-year treasury. I don't remember that ever happening in my lifetime. And the last time it happened was in the 50s, and it was a huge buy signal for dividend stocks. I would look at the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list. The prime income list has the yield is two times what it is on the 30-year treasury. And by the way, it only gets taxed at 15%, and the U.S. Treasury gets taxed at regular income. (laughs) So there's two really great buys, I think, on the prime income list today. and I've just I've just been waiting for you know to see what develops uh, before I bought them. I bought I bought one of them a little bit of it, and I'm probably going to buy some more of it if it pulls back. In the meantime, if you want to get those lists, go to WHK fourteen twenty AM. Hit the contact me or email me. I'll send uh, send the lists out. If you'd like to have a cup of coffee, talk about your portfolio. Uh, we've made some pretty good calls on this show this year in the last year and a half, and. Uh, uh, if you'd like us to manage your portfolio, please let us know. I'd uh, love to have a coffee with you, talk about it, and see if we're, we're a match. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Remember, buy low, sell high. This is Tim Hayes, the Smart Investor Show. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.